Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Chris Jennings. Today, I've got a good friend of Ducks Unlimited and a good friend of the DU Podcast, Mike Stewart, owner and operator of Wild Rose Kennels. Mike, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Chris. You know, it is duck season now. We are in the middle of it. Um, some some people's duck seasons are even getting ready to close, uh, especially those people way up north. But I wanted to bring you on the show here today and, and talk to you, you know, about retriever injuries, in-season injuries. Um, and really, the first thing I wanted to dive into is really some of the more common injuries that you see that retrievers have, you know, during the season. What are some of those common injuries that, that you see on a regular basis? Most of them are pretty obvious. Uh, number one is a broken nail, toenail, uh, which is very painful for the dog and it puts you out of, uh, of the hunt for at least two weeks. A slice to the pad. Lots of old uh, duck blinds have sharp objects in them. The dog dives off in the water, gets a, lands on a broken piece of glass or anything that's up. We got, also get in these rice fields with a stubby uh, cut of the, uh, the rice, the stubble or wheat stubble jams through their, their webbing of the foot. Those are serious types of injuries. They're going to lay you up for a couple of weeks. The other one you get into is strained muscles, pulled ACLs, pulled shoulders and knees, those more athletic types of injuries. And I'll tell you, Chris, right now I've sort of got to be a coach. What you need to do is do some, and like you said, we're in the end of the season now, but we should have done some preseason conditioning, getting these dogs in, in running shape and, and active, uh, stretching those muscles, Get them cold acclimated. Uh, dogs stay in the house full time, and then all of a sudden we throw them out in sub uh, zero temperatures or sub freezing temperatures and expect them to perform. They're going to shut down. Cold acclimation, I think, is important. Get the dogs staying outside quite a bit. Feeding the right balance of diet. What we want to do going into the season is start raising the food content, uh, getting that energy level up. That's what keeps them warm, the fat in the food. So you don't have to increase or change the brand of the food. I wouldn't do that. I would just start increasing the amount of uh, food and make sure that your protein-fat ratio is correct. So your hypothermia and your cold weather injuries are coming from a lot of times it's just the dog is not in shape. Uh, it's not been warmed up. He's not stretched his muscles out good. And we take him straight from the home off the couch and throw him in a really, really um, cold, slick, slimy conditions and expect them to perform so some of this some of the injuries can be avoided yeah you know and i've even looked at a couple things and a couple things that we've we've had where you know dogs hunting dogs during the season are burning like 80 percent more calories than what they are during the rest of the season you kind of hit on that you know I, i see a lot of dogs throughout the season you know i run into people whose dogs have gotten you know really skinny um, throughout the season. And do you think that's, you know, just the nature of, you know, the dogs are really, really working hard or is it something where people should really look at increasing that, that amount of food that these dogs are getting? I mean, is it, that, that's kind of what you're saying, isn't it? Exactly. You made both points. Uh, it's something you should watch as an owner handler. You should watch the, the body condition of your dog, the body score of your dog. If they're losing weight, you've got to put more protein and more fat. And it's not so much the protein, it's the fat. That's what they're burning. That's where they're burning the calories. It's not a great idea to feed them before the hunt either. Uh, research has shown it's better to feed them the evening before, probably 30 minutes to an hour after exercise. And so that all that digestion is about 
finished and it's actually energy. It takes about 12 hours to convert food into energy in the dog's body. So if we're feeding them in the morning thinking it's doing them some good, it's probably detrimental. So you need to feed them in the evening so that digestion has taken, t- turned a lot of that food source into energy. And that's what you're looking for is that fat content. So if you start seeing the body score of your dog, start seeing those ribs getting too uh, obvious, the flank is too narrow. And also about mid-morning on a cold day, if the dog just quits, it, it could be just run out of gas. So you're going to have to in- slowly increase your food, co- food content of the fat proteins and also the amount that you're feeding. So I like to go into season gradually increasing the amount I'm feeding. All through season, I'm rising it to the end of season, and then I slowly drop it after season. So that's a pretty slow process, too. It's something that, you know, just a reminder, well, people should should have started, uh, you know, several several months ago. Uh, but, you know, it, it is something for hunters now while they're out hunting and really, really on that in-season grind is to really keep an eye on on the dogs and and what do you recommend like if you when you talk about you know keep an eye on the body condition um how are you really judging that is just kind of by you know the eye test or is there a way that that you can reach down and feel um you know anything within the dog's you know abdomen or or hips or anything is anything that you're you can kind of look at and be like oh we need to definitely increase the uh the fat content in their food well we have a scale around here it would take the weights obviously but most people don't have that Mm -hmm. but it's pretty easy to stand on your weight scale at your house then pick your dog up <laughs> that gives you a pretty good idea uh, of what your dog's weight is if he's dropping in, in pounds that's number one number two look at the body score standing over the dog looking directly down at the dog if the flanks are caved in you should see just the, a, a small, small amount of di- indention in the waist I almost see a slight definition of that back rib of the rib cage if you start seeing two or three ribs and a really indention there then you're probably going to have a, you probably have got a dog that is not in proper condition. I'll, I'll tell you a couple of resources. You can go on the Perino website, ProPlan. They have a chart there. Skate around, you'll find it. Or you can also go to uklabs.com, look at our videos library, and there's a 10, we have 16 series, part series on how to, to raise a puppy. But I have one video in there I did with Perino on body score, and I actually video mm-hmm. two dogs standing side by side. So that's a visual resource. If you want to look that up, just go to UK Labs, look at our library, look at the product content, and you'll see nutrition. Click on that video. It's about two minutes long. Awesome. That's a great resource. And that, that'll that give people an idea of how to, you know, to look at that body score. That's that's awesome. You know, other than, you know, the nutrition side of things, you mentioned it a little bit. You know, you're taking these dogs, uh, some of them have been uh, laying around the house quite a bit more than what they probably should. Um, getting accustomed to that air conditioner and that heater, you take our hunters are taking these dogs out sometimes in these really frigid conditions, and you run into uh, everything from frostbite and you know hypothermia. Um, what what is some things that you know people can look at when they're taking these dogs into these really really cold conditions? What are some things that they should avoid? with their retriever in this like super cold water, icy. My rule is high and dry. Keep the dog out of the water as, as much as possible. Keep them on water stands. Keep them right, lining down the bank, for instance, instead of going out. If you have an opportunity to say, for instance, on a rice field, if you can line them down the bank and handle them into the water and pick the bird and then back, that, oh, he's running the bank. Well, that's, that that's, can be a, 
a plus for you in these types of conditions. If you can keep the dog up running out of the water as much as possible, keeping the body um, dry as possible, keeping them up so when they jump back into the duck blind, you've got a nice place out of the wind. You can build some wind breaks around your dog hide to break that wind so he's going to dry out uh, much more comfortably than the high wind blowing against him when he pops back in. I've seen some of my dogs come back, jump in the duck blind, turn around, and there's solid frost all over them, just ice hanging on them. Mm-hmm. So it's much better if they can tuck inside the blind, if they can get inside the dog hide. And it's very easy to insulate. Uh, if, you, if you don't have an insulated blind, it's pretty easy to do. All you need is a couple of pieces of carpet, stretch it over the top just to knock that wind off. Helps a whole lot. There's portable dog hides you can get on the market now that are pretty cool that you can lay them down, say, in a field or on a field stand. They come back and jump up into that hide, takes them completely out of that wind. And, of course, there's the thermal vest. Just make sure the, the thing fits properly. Some people get a one that's too tight and it chases the dog under his armpits and chest, or they're too loose, and then they become dangerous. Uh, debris gets stuck in them. Limbs get stuck in them. So you've got to really – Get the, the get the product fitted for your dog and make sure it actually fits that dog. And so there again, there goes the body content. Uh, maybe last summer it was really tight, and now it's not so tight. So you have to make maybe have to make some adjustments. But high and dry is a big thing, and don't forget hydration. These dogs are burning that energy out there. They're going to get thirsty. You may not think they do, and then they drink that swampy water out there where they've been. Having pesticides, herbicides, and fertilizer blown all over those fields all summer. Now they're drinking that water. So take clean yeah. water with you and give them drinks of water. At least offer it during periodics of the day. I don't like to see one standing out in those fields lapping that uh, murky water up. Yeah, some of those some of those fields can get uh, pretty pretty disgusting as the uh, especially as the season rolls on and they've had water on them for several months. Um, you know, it it can definitely definitely cause an issue. Uh, you know, one thing that, that we've taught you and I have talked about in, in several different occasions, including on the podcast, but I'd like to touch on it again, just something that, um, you know, people should, should have and be prepared for, but, you know, a, a retriever blind bag and, you know, th- that blind bag is going to change drastically. You know, we talked about it early in the season and it was more of a training bag and even a dove bag. Um, but throughout the season, how are you changing out the equipment that you're putting in this, you know, retriever bag that you take to the field with you all the time? Well, the basics for the dog, of course, I've already mentioned the, the vest. Uh, and you also want a nice tree tie lead in case you have to leash your dog for any particular reason. Uh, let's say you've got a dog that is not that steady. He has become a hypothermic. You need to be able to tie that dog and, and secure it. So I always keep a lead uh, in, in the back. But even more important, I think you're going to need a small mini uh, first aid kit, if you will. I'm going to have things in there like uh, vet wrap, gauze, tweezers, um, hemostats. I want a, a knife where if a dog got entangled, could you cut him loose? You need a big, heavy-bladed knife that you could go out there and whack that dog. You know, if he got tangled in something, can you get him cut loose? I've seen that one actually happen uh, several times. You need alcohol, uh, iodine rubs, those kinds of things just for basic first aid, I think, are very important to have immediately on hand. So let's say you've got your dog cuts his pad, uh, rips the pad off and maybe tells the webbing. That thing's going to bleed terribly. And now you're standing in murky, nasty water that we're just uh, prone to infection. You could clean that out with a, a nice saline solution, 
put out an iodine scrub on it, wrap it with gauze, and wrap, wrap it with vet wrap, and get the dog off back to the vet. At the end of the day, I always have something to swap, flush the dog's eyes and swab them out if you're working in grassy-type uh, seedy grasses uh, where there's debris gets in the dog's eyes when the dog is running with a bird in his mouth. He's catching debris directly in his eyes. You need to clean those out at the end of the day or you're going to end up with abscess. You know, one thing that, um, you know, we talk about a lot around the office is, you know, icy conditions. And how do you explain to people, you know, it's hard to prepare a dog for icy conditions when especially, you know, you've got, you know, a facility there in Oxford, Mississippi, um, yet that dog may be going to travel and hunt in Nebraska or even North Dakota. Um, how, how are you kind of talking to people about introducing their dogs to icy conditions and then how, how should they handle that dog in those conditions? Well, that's one really dangerous area that I, I put out a lot of word of caution and then y'all still see somebody publish something or say something on social media about the long retrieve they made across the water on ice falling through the ice and i'm thinking oh my goodness this is so dangerous is the bird really worth that uh, some people think it is but at the same time you can lose a dog really quickly on ice here's a couple of situations really slick icy conditions the dogs are high powered running they're used to running on solid ground you launch your dog off, he's got some footing on the ground, on the exit, exits the line, and then he hits slick ice, you're going to blow an ACL, a shoulder, a knee. you got to some surgeries coming up off of that, and I've seen clients do that. I actually know the stories of that, that happened to clients and, uh, out on the plat. It's happened in Alaska where they blow the ACL. Uh, these are athletes, and they're not. some of the times they're not used to running on that ice, and so all of a sudden we put them out there, then I, they start slipping and sliding. It may, may be funny out there crashing through the decoy, but it's certainly not going to be when you get that surgery bill. Uh, and your dog is laid up for the rest of the year, by, by the way. Uh, the other one I, that I see is I've run into several times, especially down here in the south where we get this black ice. It's not really thick. The dog can't stand up on it, and he's constantly falling through it, and he can't get back up on it. Every time he tries to get back up on it, he simply crawls back, falls back through it. So a dog that's not used to chopping, you know, whacking through that ice like a rotor tiller, he's just going to just, just become hypothermic out there. He's going to be very confused and not really know how to get out of that situation. Yeah, Mike, you know, people get that bill for the ACL surgery, and that's no joke. But, you know, you had mentioned something, you know, we've talked all line about, you know, some different kinds of black ice and how people, you know, let their dogs get out on that, and that can get very dangerous. Well, black ice, what I'm speaking of is you can't really see it. It's just a light film of ice on top of the water. We really get that down here in the south. It froze over in the evening. The dog falls through it. He can't get on top of it, and it starts trying to chop and get around. He goes out there, gets the bird, tries to get back trying to push the bird through, but he can't get on the ice. Every time he does, it falls in it. And some dogs panic, and they can't really see it. It's just hitting them in the chest as they start moving forward. That tends to be a problem that I've run into and experienced with dogs. And the other one that is very dangerous that we don't get much in the south, but they do in the north, you have to watch for is rivers. They'll freeze over mm -hmm. at a certain water level, and then the water drops underneath the river. But you've got this solid piece of ice across the river dog goes out and falls in and he's two or three feet below the ice and uh, he can swim around but he can't get out that is a really yeah. dangerous when the that, that the dog becomes trapped and starts moving down river and you just don't see him again unless you get lucky and they get some ice and he can pop back through it but you know if you've got ice and snow that's 
that's the best uh, best of the word. It's always got traction on that, but it's just that slick ice you've got to be so careful of. Yeah, you know, I used to know guys who would hunt um, their dogs on the river. Uh, when I hunt, grew up in Indiana, that the ice flows would start packing up on the uh, Wabash River. And, you know, they're still trying to hunt on certain pockets and creeks, and these ice flows would pack up. And they would still let their dogs go out on these, like, big stacks of, you know, kind of packed ice. And, and I, I would never let my dog go out there. I, I, I take a little bit more caution on that, you know, rather than – and see the dog fall through the ice like that. You know, so we've kind of gone through this full list of things for people to think about in season, um, gone through the vest. Um, but, you know, what are some things that you tell people in the middle of the season, you know, to really pay attention to for your dog that, that may not be on the list that we just went through? Well, I'm going to re- circle back around and mention nails. Keep an eye every night on your nails and eyes. You're not doing a lot of debris hunting like upland cleaning those eyes, but I've seen so many dogs that get abscesses and eye problems because the debris that was not cleaned at the end of the end of the day's hunt. And the other one's keeping those nail, nails trimmed and watching for cracks, breakage, those types of things. And the last one that we haven't touched on is cold tail. What do you do about that? You know, dogs all of a sudden, you know, really science can't explain it. I've seen dogs on fairly warm days come back with cold tail. The tail is drooping to the rear and it's extremely painful for the dog. So the, my action on that one is that's when I said, okay, put the dog up, get them warm, get them in a hide, tie them up, get them down where they, if you've got a heater going on, put them down by that heater. And if you've got Remedil, Remedil works really well to get on sore joints, sprains, but it also works well on cold tail. And you'll see progress in anywhere from a few hours to one or two days. Yeah. Can you kind of explain what that cold tail is? I mean, that's a good point. I forgot to bring that one up, but I think most people don't even know what cold tail is. Well, most vets can't explain it either. We really don't know where it comes from. And I I don't think there's any preconditioning you can really do. I saw, saw Drake uh, back in his day. His whole He came back swimming with his front legs and his back legs. I thought he'd broken his back. They were just back behind him like an otter. Uh, and basically it was cold tail. He couldn't get up on the water stand. Uh, it, you'll, you'll see that your dog is becomes very lethargic. It is tense. He's arching his back. He doesn't want to use his back legs. And if you lift his tail or, or touch him between, uh, his pelvis and the rear, he's going to yelp and you need to stop right there. Uh, it, it, no amount of, you know, people just don't want to be applying force to your dog. Not dog is not doing a refusal. You need to recognize the signs of it. The signs behind it, there's a lot, there's as many reasons behind it that you would possibly could think of, but nobody really knows the signs behind it, and nobody really knows there's a prevention. There's no injection, there's no uh, food intake, there's no uh, preventive medicine for it. It just shows up and disappears. I know several people whose dogs have had that, and it does appear um, to be extremely painful for the dog. You know it when the dog has it, for sure. Get them dry, get them warm, and Remedil. Yes, that needs to be in your vet kit. Uh, just have that stuff there. And it's really good for, for uh, sprains. Uh, another thing you have to watch is, uh, these dogs, these duck blinds that we have in the south, the big, tall duck blinds with these long ramps, those things will freeze over. The, at night, they'll be wet, and that solid ice going up and down them, dog's going to pull a joint. He's going to pull a muscle on, it, on those, a lot of those ramps if you're not careful. So you, one is you want to try to make sure that the dog doesn't have a problem. It's not slipping and sliding. Uh, it, 
make sure that, that you take every precaution to keep them from injury. But if you do have a pull muscle like that, Rivadale works well. And just by adult doses of aspirin. Aspirin, I keep that in my vet kit all the time. You know, adult dose for your for, for normal uh, retriever size, that really helps a lot with the pain. Well, that's a, those are some good things to have on hand, especially, you know, the aspirin and, and uh and, and really, you know, like you said, the first thing you want to do in situations, most situations when you're hunting is get that dog out of the water and get it warm. Um, I think that's that's the first step for most situations. Uh, I have one more question for you before you let you go. And this is just something I'm kind of curious about, you know, what what your thoughts are. Um, I see a lot of people hunting. Their dogs are wearing those goggles now. You know, you see. Um, do you have any experience with those or have you introduced those to any dogs and, and what should people do if they want to introduce those to their dog? Well, my good friend Hattie Billups had more experience with it, uh, with a dig pup that we have named Gus. He's one of our sires now, very good retriever. And she does multi-game hunting with him. Uh, he's an upland dog, waterfowl dog, and she wanted to hunt some sand crane. Mm-hmm. So she and geese as well. So she started saying, "Okay, we need these goggles because you know those cranes are prone to go with their beak straight for the dog's chest, neck, and eyes, and a strike there with one of those birds is quite dangerous for the dog." But it, we had to prepare the dog. You can't just slap those on and go. So she had this dog wearing these goggles around all summer long, which was hilarious. He's out there trying to say, "I can't see, I can't see," and all of a sudden he got used <laughs> to them, paid no attention to them at all. And it, uh, he can perform great in the field with them. So in those situations, yes, geese and uh, sand crane. But for the average duck, not necessary. Not necessary. Yeah, no, you know, I've, <laughs> I've had some people ask me about it and they're just, they're asking me about it. And I'm like, man, I, I end up with a pair, but you know, my dog's like 10 years old and I'm trying to put these on a 10 year old dog who's never had them on. I'm like, yeah. yeah, she just throws them out. So that's why I just wanted to ask you if you had any experience and how that introduction process works. And, um, it sounds like you do. The first time he sees those should not be sunrise on opening day. You better prepare before you get there. Yeah, that's right. That's, it's just like everything else. You know, it's all about introductions. Um, you know, we did an entire podcast earlier this year on introductions, and I'm sure we'll add, we can add the add the goggles to the list of introductions. Mike, this has been great. Um, I'm going to try and get you on here um, real soon and, and cover a couple other topics, especially as we get later in the season. I'm sure uh, maybe our listeners will have some questions. Um, that's another thing. If, if our listeners do have any questions um, for you, um, I recommend them to email us at dupodcast at ducks.org. Um, and then we can kind of bounce off that. I think that may be a good idea to open it up. Um, and you can answer some of these questions, either whether it be limber tail or nutrition or conditioning or something like that. I, mean, I think that's a, that's a great way to reach out to our audience and a great way for you to connect as well. But I do appreciate you joining me. Thanks. Thanks for having me. We look forward to our next edition when we do have some of those questions. That'd be a lot of fun. I'd like to thank my guest, Mike Stewart, for joining me today on the Ducks Limit Podcast. I'd like to thank Clay Barrett, our producer, for doing a great job getting this out to you. And I'd like to thank you, the listener, for listening today and supporting wetlands conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks.